This is Old School, and we left you with a cliffhanger last week about the Golden Monkey. Yes. Um, you want to tell everyone what the Golden Monkey is, since you and Jake, your now husband, discovered it? Yeah, I don't. I think we discovered it when my parents had that shore house in Wildwood. Did you ever go to that shore house with us? No. Um, they don't have it anymore. No. Once my oh. parent, once my dad retired, they got rid of it. Which oh. is, you would think it would be the other way around. You get a shore house when you retire. Yeah. Um. So there was a bar up the street, and they had Golden Monkey there, and I don't know what the alcohol content is in that thing, but it's makes you insane after it's like one beer really high. Like I remember when we, so when I, so let's take it back to 2007 ish, six ish. Um, Lauren, Lauren's sister, Lee, me and Jake, who Lauren would eventually marry meet up at our favorite place for wings. And I yes. have completely forgotten the name of it. Wait, Mor- uh, Moriarty's. Moriarty's, Moriarty's in Philadelphia. And um, I think you guys were already there. And I came in and you, I, I'm like, I'll yes, have what they are having. Because you took the bus there. Yes. We sent, we sent <laughs> I, your drunk ass home on the bus in the middle of the night by yourself. Which that's actually part of the story because that was a fiasco. But the um, I when I got there, you guys already had your, your golden monkeys. And I was like, I'll have what they're having. And I think by like our third one... <laughs> The bartender was like, do you guys know what this is? Like, it's not a beer. It's like, it's more than a, it's like whatever the word is for a beer with like a super high alcohol content. And I, so the night gets fuzzy, but I remember getting in a fight with Lee at Moriarty's because she wanted to dance. Do you remember um, that? Yes. And, you and gave- I, and I, <laughs> I threw my wallet at her face, but it had my <laughs> phone in it and hit her in the face and she got pissed. But then we all managed to leave at the same time and we went to- Wait a second. Do you remember what I did at Moriarty's? <laughs> I probably still owe your sister money for this. I knocked her cell phone into her golden monkey. <laughs> I don't remember that. I got to ask her about that. I don't remember that. It was a, it was a flip phone and she refused, I, she refused money. And I was like, felt so bad the next day. I was like, I need to give her a check. And um, by the way, I'm pretty sure that she plucked her phone out of her golden monkey and still drank it, drank the she beer. Probably did. <laughs> so then we somehow ended up to, um, shit, where did we end up? We went somewhere where we could dance. It was on Spring Garden. Um, was it, it wasn't Finn- Finnegan's Wake, was it? It was Finnegan's Wake. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of this. So we end up there and (laughs) proceeded to somehow, we're all pinching Jake's nipples at some point (laughs) on the dance floor. Okay. So so we don't remember being there. I I don't deny that I participated in the purple nurples. I just have no memory of it. And then I don't, like, I remember Lee trying, Lee was very, um, I'm going to get the guy. Like every time we would go out, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to get the guy. So I remember her like striking out, like with all these guys. (laughs) So then cut to the next morning. I vaguely remember waving to you as you stumbled onto a bus. I can't No, I didn't get on the bus. I sat there like an idiot. I stood there at the bus stop. Did you take a cab somewhere? I had first? to take a cab. I stood there for 20 minutes. I was like, where is the bus? And then I realized it wasn't running anymore. It was <sighs> like the too late in the night. So the next morning, my sister's banging on my bedroom door and kicks, <laughs> it, kicks it open. And she has the biggest black eye on her <laughs> face from me smashing her in the face with my wallet. <laughs> and she's, and then we look at Jake. Oh, then Jake goes into the bathroom 
And then he proceeds to come in and he pulls up his shirt and he's like, <laughs> his nipples are just bruised from us torturing him all night. <laughs> and Lee's cracking up because she's like, no wonder all these dudes were not talking to me because I probably had this gigantic welted face going up trying to talk to them. And I had this black eye, like this trash bag going yeah, up trying to be like. Because even before the shiner <laughs> before the shiner shows up, usually you're <laughs> like swollen and like. <laughs> Moral of the story is don't drink Golden Monkey. I oh never my god! Unless they want to sponsor the podcast, then drink Golden Monkey. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Oof. That was a good time. Oh, this is the days man. where you could drink Golden Monkey and not die the next day. Yeah. Although I had some pretty gnarly hangovers in my twenties. Mm. Um, okay, so we are covering this week the week of September twenty sixth to uh, October. I went all the way to, to October second, so that's a full like seven days. Um, I did a couple deep dives. I don't have much for September 26th. Oh, let me Do get want... to my... So, I have one okay. mini deep dive for the 26th, but that's it. Oh, I have a couple. Oh, good. Um, so the first one that I saw was the groundbreaking for the Hollywood sign in L.A. They put oh. it on the Hollywood land one. And what year was that? 1949. Hmm. So the Hollywood land sign was up there mainly as a promotional thing for like some kind of housing development which i never knew and then um, that's weird yeah and then it was only supposed to be up for a year or so and then it was staying up and then became like you know a fixture the weather weather, like tore to pieces and stuff so oh yeah that's right i I forgot that it like fell apart a few times yeah throughout history they restored it in 1978 to the hollywood sign and they had to raise all this money to do it and they I thought was interesting that there's specific donors for each letter of the Hollywood sign. Oh, so Alice Cooper is O, oh. one of the O's. Um, Did you? I wonder if they got to pick the letter. I don't know. Hugh Hefner <laughs> is Y. He was a big. He was Hugh Hefner was like a big like wanted to get that sign fixed. Yeah, and he actually helped out later on. It needed repairs, and he helped out like in the 2000s to save it. And then Andy Williams was a W, and then the other people I didn't really. Yeah. So I only brought that up because. You know, in like so many LA movies, there's people making out with like the Hollywood sign and they're like windshield. And did you yeah. ever do that? Yeah, I did not do that. No. Oh, oh actually, huh. no, that's not true. I take that back. I did. Um, I did like post date go hang out with someone. The plan was to like find like a parking spot, and it's the kind of a famous one near the sign, maybe right below it. I can't remember. Um, the Hollywood Hills are really cool, by the way. They're like a labyrinthine, I don't know, am I saying that word right, of weird little streets and with old houses and new houses, and they're really neat. So it was up there, you know, it's a canyon, so there's kind of like rustic areas to pull off, and there's like 20 people there. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, like, uh, out of their car, they were just hang- out of their car taking pictures, I mean, this is LA for you, out of their car taking pictures everywhere and like kind of ruined the mood, so. But uh, yeah, yeah that you know, I remember watching that movie, um, What's the one with Ben Affleck? The movie in Iran. Remember they rescued the Argo. Argo. The beginning of Argo. I watched with my dad. I watched that movie with my dad at home. And I remember (laughs) my dad, we watched it, it came on and it has like a pan of like 70s, like Los Angeles, I guess. And it pans past like a dilapidated Hollywood sign. And my dad is his giant like leather chair. He He like turns to me and he goes, oh yeah, that was something about the 70s. The Hollywood sign fell apart. And nobody gave a shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank fact. you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Thanks for that. Thanks for that tidbit. Well, um, that, he's accurate because they fixed it in 1978. Yeah. Cool. 
And then the other thing that I knew you wouldn't talk about, and I didn't realize how much I loved it until I saw this, was in 1968, Oliver was released. The movie. Oh, yes. The and musical. Know, yes. And I know you don't like your musicals, as we touched on on other podcasts. Yes. This one. Yes. Like, even when I was going through all the songs, food, glorious food, consider yourself as long as he needs me, you got to pick a pocket. Like, every single song is great. Yeah. I'm not actually not, I don't hate that one. Remember when he goes up and he goes, please, sir, I want some yeah. more. That's like from that movie and every, yeah. I mean, that, that was a very, very popular movie. Like when was that was a so, big deal. It was so freaking good. It was so I'm making my kids watch it tomorrow because oh, good. It. they'll like but it. I don't, I remember seeing that as a kid and being so disturbed by the scene towards the end where the, um, the hell was his name? The bad dude kills his girlfriend because she's trying to help oh. Oliver escape like on that bridge. And then he like strangles her. Yeah. So I don't I remember that part. Oh, it's like it's I can still see it in my head. Like it's Ew. stayed with me. So maybe I'll fast forward that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you maybe but, don't want them to see that. We used to watch that all the time and I forgot how much I loved it. And we watched that a lot. There was, was so a lot good. of musicals that were pervasive in I feel like in our childhood, like even ones like like Oliver and then The Wiz. Do you remember The Wiz? We watched that I all the time. I couldn't get into The Wiz. I thought it was really fun, but it was a little scary. It's kind it of like scary. there were like some the scary parts. Return to Oz. By I love Return to Oz. I was just telling which my coworker is scary. about that. That's really scary too. Yeah, um, that's with uh, Firuza Balk, right? Mm-hmm. It fucking starts out. She's in an insane asylum. Like a, a lady, a lady uh, can take her heads off and shit. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, yeah, where they have her locked in the room and yes. she gets, they come with a little like a gurney to come and take. They're going to fucking shock, electroshock her. Yeah. yeah. Treatments. It's a um, turn of the century insane asylum. So and I forgot about this, but then I remembered it as soon as I saw the little character, the main Oliver. He grew up, stopped acting, but he was like BFFs with Michael Jackson. And he came out after Michael Jackson died and said that he probably is Paris's father because he's the godfather to all of Michael Jackson's kids. So this oh, guy, I don't so get this it. Guy, this guy Oliver, yeah, yeah, the, the actor ended up movies. being yeah, ended up being friends with Michael Jackson. MJ dies, and then the guy's like, "I'm probably Paris's father because he and like 26 other dudes donated sperm." Oh, that's right, because there was something going on with Michael's. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but then, like, the whole family disputed it and said... Well, I mean, you kind of shouldn't say that. Maybe you should ask for a test before you just, like, blurt it yeah, out. Yeah, and then he offered to take one, but then then the whole family disputed it, saying Michael's the father. Which, Ooh, you know, oh, boy. Know. Yeah. You know, uh, the yeah, so. I mean... But, I mean, it also sounds like maybe he was trying to cash in. I don't mean to sound skeptical or, like, cy- like cynical, but, I mean, that's a giant fortune, right? I mean, if you can mm-hmm. prove that you're related. God, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. So, Rando. um... That's, that's... Oh, and then in... Uh, 2010 of September 26th, Downton Abbey premiered in the UK, which I freaking I love Downton Abbey. I, can I even loved when it turned into. It. Do you remember by the later seasons, it was turning into like a telenovela? Mm-hmm. I loved it. <laughs> it was ridiculous, but yep, I loved I it. I ate the whole thing up, saw the movies, ate it up, went and saw the exhibit in New York City. You know what? I haven't up. seen the movie. It's not, Shit, I, I mean, just realized I didn't see it. It's like. You go and see it, and you if anyone just on a whim decided to go see Downton Abbey, the movie, and never watch the show, they'd be like, what was that piece of shit? But, because <laughs> if, you, but if you love the show, you yeah, appreciate yeah. it because you're, like, just immersed in the characters again. But it's so stupid. Like there's, Is there's it continuation, so, basically? Yeah, like, jumps years ahead like it always does oh. every season. And then it has, you know, there's some big plot 
like issue and then it wraps up really nicely by the end. Like there's a whole bunch of different little dramas going on. That's but, cool. I like that. That's cool. But it's it's a stupid, stupid yeah, movie. Yeah. But it's but you just love it because you just miss the characters in your Yeah. Like as soon as I heard that music in the movie theater, I was like yeah, and I used to say dog butt. That's how you knew it was starting. There's a dog butt because he would be right in the camera. Oh, I miss that show. I miss that show. It was great. So that was it for September 26th. That's a good one. I had a, I had a couple for September 26th. Premiere of Knight Rider, which is, I I think, my 1982 was a premiere of Knight Rider, September 26th. Definitely, in my opinion, greatest TV show theme song. It's a great theme song. Some people think that the song, the Knight Rider theme song is based on a classical piece by the French composer, I'm going to say his name wrong, Leo Delibes, and the song is called Cortege de Bacchus. I I wanted to play it because you're going to be like, holy shit, but I I don't want to get sued. But Google, if you you want to... I wrote it down. I'll listen to it. Cortege de Bacchus. It's uh, like uncanny. And it's, I mean, you know, people get inspired, but it's not like a ripoff. It's just sort of funny. Okay, and then 1986, Run DMC becomes the first rap group to hit the top 10 with their album Raising Hell, which is, you know, just like we talked last time about rumors, this is Run DMC's, like, it's, you know, many consider it one of the greatest albums ever made. Um, It sold more than 3 million copies and had all the biggies, like, It's Tricky, You Be Illin', My Adidas, and then The Walk This Way, which is Aerosmith and um, Run DMC, and it's a remake of the Aerosmith song, and it outcharted the Aerosmith version, the original version, which I thought was cool. (laughs) It's the first platinum and multi-platinum hip-hop album. It also was nominated for a Grammy, which makes it the first hip-hop group that makes Run DMC the first hip-hop group to be nominated for a Grammy, which is kind of cool. And it was, it's in the Library of Congress. You know, they do that. It's like culturally, historically, mm. or artistically significant. So that's what I have for the 26th. I love Run DMC, by the way, full disclosure, hence the semi-deep dive. I, I grew up on Run DMC. Um, I didn't have anything for the 27th or 28th. Like, I, did anything what? happen in the world? I know. I don't know what. what well, I didn't really have anything for 27. Just that Barbara Streisand releases released the way we were. I mean, oh, that that's the movie, right? No, it was from. It was her movie. album? That was the song. From, oh, uh, was it called the way we were? The movie? That's the one with. Um, yeah, with uh, Redford. Yes, I totally had a brain fart on who it was with, but yes, that was the only thing I had for 1973. I mean, for September 27th, and then September 28th. Oh. In 1904, I meant to look this up. 1904, a woman was arrested for smoking a cigarette in a car on Fifth Avenue in, in New York City. <laughs> Holy like, shit. I know. I thought that was weird. Wait, what What was she violating? You can't smoke in the car. You can't smoke and in I your woman. And I should have looked it up, but I, I put it in there and then I forgot to like oh. investigate that one. <laughs> it might be like public smoking, maybe? I guess. I don't That's weird. And then 1945, Mildred Pierce was released with Joan Crawford. And oh, I, I love that. I hate her. Oh, yeah. She's, I, oh, she's well, I just don't, definitely... I don't even, I just don't like her face. I yeah. don't like. I don't looking. I don't like looking at her in any movie. Have I've you never seen her it. old? The old one. She was stunning. Stun. No. I don't know if she drank a lot also, or something. You also think Betty Davis was really pretty. Too. I do because look at the old. Look at yeah, her. I have. Don't look at the ones where they're famous. Look at the no, one like where I they're have. famous today. Yeah. Like Joan Crawford was the. She's the other woman in the women. I know what you mean. Like she got let her eyebrows get all crazy and. Yeah, but I don't. I don't get it. And then. I saw the Kate Winslet version of Mildred Pierce. See, I didn't see that one. Was it good? Oh, it was like a mini series, and it was. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and then Songs in the Key of Life was released by Stevie Wonder in 1976. Oh, nice. Was that still the 28th we're on? Yep. I love Stevie Wonder. Um, 
Yeah, and that I just forgot how many songs were on that album. It's like yeah, it's a big one. 18 songs. And, and then in 1991, I only put this in here because it's a classic story that my brother and my sister and I tell. The commish was re- debuted on ABC. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad loved the commish, like loved it. And I was popular. One night we were in the living room watching TV. My mom wasn't in the room, but my dad, the commission was coming on and we weren't being quiet because my dad wanted to watch this show and we were being assholes. He's like, Lauren, just get out of the room. And I stood up and I turned around and I went, you know what, man, you're a real son of a commission. And my (laughs) dad's face was like him trying not to laugh at me, but then also pissed at the same time. My brother and sister were just like, and then I got sent to my room. I was like in high school. He's like, get out of here. I don't want to see you the rest of the night. That whatever. I never watched that show, but I remember that episode of Seinfeld where George is like getting ready for a date and he look, he's in his bathroom and he looks in the bathroom mirror and there's, he has like a picture of chicklets <laughs> <laughs> as like, as like his, his inspiration. inspiration. Yeah. Well, it was 1991, so I was in grade school still. So I was pretty young to say you son of a commission. Right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You're, yeah. But we still. Uh, still funny, though. I mean, at least you didn't say something, an actual swear word. No. I have a, oh, the 29th is a deep dive. Do you have anything little for the 29th? Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies won their first pennant in 1915. Ooh, local old school for you. And did you do a deep dive on Jackie Wilson? Because that looks like, it sounds like something. No, I didn't. I, I feel like uh, next year, like. <laughs> 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 I don't, I don't, um, I just didn't have, I love Jackie Wilson, but I don't have, I just was, had already done a deep dive on this other thing. And I was like, are we, you know, like how, yeah. how many can we afford in our, the span of our show? So I just thought the Jackie Wilson thing was, was that was 1975 when he had his massive heart attack while singing at the Latin casino in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is two oh. seconds from me. And, but then I was reading about that and he used to take like fistfuls of salt tablets and then guzzle water before every show because, Why? It's, because it would make him sweat and he thought the women thought it made him look hot. Oh, no. Is that what did it? <gasps> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah, no. his blood pressure was probably through the roof. So Oh, that's terrible. He has this heart attack. They resuscitate him, goes into the coma, ended up being like a resident in a long-term care facility in Medford, New Jersey, which is 30 minutes from my house. And they ended up dying at 49. Oh, my God. That is the saddest thing ever. So he never really recovered. No, they said, so I guess he had the heart attack in 75. I think like a year later, he was like alert, but couldn't like, so he was like a long-term care nursing home patient. Wow. Until he died at the age of 49. That is, that is really sad. Wow. Yeah, super sad. Um, Oh, my God. I didn't even know salt pills were a thing. I know. That's so weird. Jesus Christ. And then in 1985, Amazing Stories by Steven Spielberg (gasps) debuted. I loved that show. I oh did my too. god! My sister has the DVDs. We found them for her. Oh, you did? Uh huh. I wonder if I wonder if I could find them somewhere. I lo- I love that show. It was why, so Why great. don't they bring it back and just why doesn't like Netflix carry it? They should because that's that was I just loved tuning into that every week. It was great. It was kind of like Twilight Zoney, but remember yeah, the Christopher Lloyd one where he was the professor? Yeah, I think I do. Mary uh, Mary uh, Stuart Masterson was in it too. She was the girl. Was a student. There were two yeah, students, yeah. and they're trying to kill this professor. And then they like cut his head off, and then they think they murdered him. And he's chasing him, holding his head. Oh my god, I don't remember oh, that one. I take it back. I got to so look good. this up. And then I remember the train. Wasn't there one with a train and Lucas Haas and the train? Like I got to look this up. Did it crash? Or, or it comes through the house or something? Like thanks. And then there was the bomber one, the the plane with the bomber. Yeah, the I don't remember all these. Guys. But. Yeah, that was a great show. So Yeah, it was great. 
And I remember it had a very um, memorable opening. Like I can mm -hmm. still picture it in my mind. So are you ready for my like semi yeah. or no, it's not a semi deep dive. It's a deep dive. I never even, I never even knew about this until I saw this little blip about it. And I was like, what is this? And I asked Jake, he's, oh yeah, that's why they have like the, you can't what? tamper on the bottle, the bottles anymore or something. Yes. Like Jake is correct. That I didn't, I, so this is the Tylenol, the first reported death from the, from a cyanide laced Tylenol capsule happens on September 29th, 1982. I, I mean, I don't know that I remember in 82, I was a, like a, I was a very small child, but I just the sort of like discussion of it during the years thereafter, I remember very well. And it's unsolved. That's the other, that's the yeah, thing that's, that's like crazy. one of the that's most what, fascinating things about it. Yeah, because Jake, that's what the other thing Jake said. He said, I don't think they ever figured out who did it. Yeah. So the, I got most of this info from the, um, a website called crimemuseum.org. And also there's an amazing timeline on um, Chicago. This is the Chicago Magazine website, chicagomag.com. I love time. I love a good timeline. I don't know. They're very, like a well done timeline. It was very satisfying and, and very informative. Seven people were killed total. They all happened in the Chicagoland area. The first victim was the youngest victim. It was 12-year-old Mary Kellerman, and she died in the morning on September 29th. She, had, she was home from school. She wasn't feeling well, and she took a Tylenol, and she collapsed shortly afterward. And the uh, paramedics in res response, and I don't know if this is like standard practice for paramedics, but it's genius. One of the paramedics just decided he, they didn't know this is a young girl, this is weird, and he grabbed everything that was like out on the counter in the bathroom, and one of those things was a Tylenol bottle, and he threw it into like his kit, and he was like, let's get her to the hospital, just thinking, did something here cause it, which is really smart, and mm -hmm. we'll, you know, we'll find out actually helped a lot. The second victim is Adam Janis. He's 27 years old. He is also homesick from work, and he takes a Tylenol in the afternoon and also collapses shortly thereafter and is rushed to the hospital. It, this ha happened very rapidly. So um, in another nearby suburb, Mary Lynn Reiner, who a week before had just given birth to her fourth baby, so she's home on maternity leave, she takes a Tylenol, she collapses and dies that afternoon. Oh my God. Yeah, with a one-week-old baby, terrible. So meanwhile, Adam Janice's family, so that's the second victim, we've got three down now, they are at the home of the Janice home and they are in, you know, mourning Adam's death and they are planning his funeral when his brother, Stanley Janice and Stanley's wife each take Tylenol. They're, they have headaches from crying or something and they take Tylenol and they, they collapse shortly thereafter. This is immediate red flags. What this, this actually, this happening in one family probably sped up the investigation process because sure. the little girl, the Mary Kellerman, the little girl, she was at a different hospital than Janice and, and the pregnant lady or the lady who just had a baby. So you, you don't necessarily, why would you put these all together? You know what I mean? Right. So this has the, this prompts the hospital. They go back to the same hospital. So the other two, the other two family members die too? Yes, they eventually I mean, die. And they are incredulous. They're like, wait, no, he just, what are you talking about? Janice is back. I mean, the, he's passed and we, no. This is two new Janices, same family. And oh that's God. when they call the Department of Health because they realize something's going on. Department of Public Health. So at this point, it's about 5.30 p.m. So shortly thereafter, the two other Janices pass. So that's three Janices. And that's, uh, let's see, five. one, two, five total. Yeah. Okay. So while the Janices' deaths are being investigated, 31-year-old Mary McFarland is at work. She tells her coworkers, I've got a headache takes uh, Tylenol and collapses shortly thereafter. Within This is minutes, minutes. 
And one of the nurses who's in charge of investigating what's going on with the Janice family, uh, she's at the house, okay? She's, I'm going to go to this fucking house and figure out what the hell's going on because maybe there's, you know, I don't know, like some kind of toxic leak or something. And they're all walking around, the hospital people and the investigators are walking around, and she goes into the bathroom and she finds the Tylenol bottle and she opens it up and she notices that there are six of the capsules are missing, which would make sense because the dose, if the dosage is two capsules and there's three people, yeah. She grabs the Tylenol bottle, takes it back to the hospital for testing. So she take, she's back at the hospital by 9.30 that night. She's tr- this nurse is trying to make the case that tyl- there's something about the Tylenol. And she's being, dis- of course, she's being dismissed. And then, uh, <laughs> I mean, they're not totally closed off with it because they, it's an investigation and it's ongoing, but they're like, eh, I don't think so. One of them says, you know, a little girl... Mary Kellerman, she died. He heard about her death and he calls that hospital and he says, send over, you know, thankfully the paramedic who had grabbed the Tylenol from little Mary Kellerman's uh, bathroom at the Janice's hospital. When the doctor finds this out, he's like, send us that bottle. And now they're figuring it out. Now they're like, okay, this nurse might be right because that's two Tylenol bottles associated with four deaths. Okay, so meanwhile, one of the other doctors investigating orders the Janice blood tested for a variety of things, including cyanide. And he did this because there's not that many things that have this, that cause this. So quick. Yes. So he order, sends that out. But you know, it's not, it's not instant. I mean, he puts a rush on it, but it's not, it takes time. So he sends it out. Also, it is noted that both bottles of Tylenol smell like bitter almond. I was reading this and I thought this was interesting because I'd heard that because, you know, I love Murder, She Wrote. So I learned that from Murder, She Wrote that cyanide smells like bitter almonds. But only about half the population can actually detect that smell. So fortunately, everyone who was there running these tests, the person who was whiffing it could smell that it was bitter almonds. They're now pretty sure it's cyanide. And I read, I have this kind of gross quote from the article from Chicago Magazine. Cyanide is a chemical asphyxiant. It blocks the utilization of oxygen by red blood cells. You can be in an atmosphere with plenty of oxygen and you can breathe it in, but it doesn't get picked up by the red blood cells and you asphyxiate. So you like internally asphyxiate. It's so, it's terrible. So that night, 9.30 p.m., a flight attendant named Paula Prince buys a Tylenol on her way home. The next morning, so that's the 30th, uh, a Johnson & Johnson lawyer, the Johnson 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 owns Tylenol. Johnson Johnson lawyer shows up at the hospital where the Janus passed become kind of the headquarters for this testing, the Tylenol. And it's very clear at this point that it's Tylenol and it's been laced with cyanide somehow. So there is no PR spin on this. This is an emergency, right? Also, the amount of cyanide per capsule is 100 to 1,000 times the amount needed to kill a human. There was, these poor people did not have a chance in hell. So 10 a.m. on the 30th, later that morning, there's a press conference. This is after the J&J lawyer stops by, stating that there's been cyanide found in multiple bottles of Tylenol. The investigating nurse, the one that, you know, suspected Tylenol from the get-go, she calls the county sheriff and she tells him what's going on. And she's like, we need to pull Tylenol from local drugstores. And the, he approves it. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So the county medical examiner s- spends the day, the 30th, answering phone calls from paranoid people all over who are like, I took a Tylenol yesterday. Do I have it? And he's yeah, like, you, if you, you're you talking dead. to me, <laughs> yeah, if you're talking to me, you didn't, you're you didn't take it. You're fine. Uh, 5 p.m. October 1st, so next day, Paula Prince's body is discovered, making the death toll seven. 
October 4th, a city ordinance is passed requiring tamper-proof packaging, and then, you know, eventually a federal law gets enacted that makes it a federal crime to tamper with drugs in a drugstore like that. And that that also includes measures by every major drug company to seal. You know, it used to be like you open the—it wasn't even child-proofed. You you know, now you push it down and turn it. Like, you just twist off the top or pop it off, and then there was cotton in there. Right, and that's it. And that's it. And, you know, it's like, I guess, more innocent time. Th- this law changed all that. I mean, this and this event changed all that. All victims took Tylenol that was purchased at different locations, and the bottles were pr- produced at different factories. So the tampering did not happen at the production level. So they knew, that's why they knew that, that tampering laws had to change, because they knew that some psycho went into, like, Walgreens or whatever. You know, there was no, no cameras. These, dropped off these Or pulled them out, because they're capsules. You can pop them open. Pulled them out, dumped some poison in, popped them back together, dumped them back in the bottle, you know? That's crazy. So once, you know, once they figure out what was going on, the investigation is who's the piece of shit who did this. So, you know, now that it's been pinpointed, it becomes find the psycho. So a man named James Lewis is arrested because he tried to extort money from Johnson & Johnson saying, like, give me X number of, of dollars and I will, or I'll keep killing. Basically, he's arrested. He's charged with major crime. I mean, you can't extort people. But they can't find any evidence proving that he actually did the poisoning. I mean, I think some people, on this article I read, it was interviewing, like, the doctors investigating and the, you know, the share, people, representatives who were all involved. And there was one guy who was like, I think he was involved. Like, okay, fine. But they didn't, they couldn't prove it. So it's it's unsolved. Um, so to this day, it remains unsolved. And there are, there's actually some people who think Ted Kaczynski did it. Mm. Maybe he he did it. So that's wild. Who knows? But it's so. But when I was reading about this, I was like, I thought it was Seattle. You know why? Because there was why? a fucking psycho in Seattle, like four, five thing? years later or eighty four. Oh, like a copycat who poured her poisoned Excedrin, but it was a woman, and she she was caught. She did it to kill her husband. She poisoned more than one bottle for the sole purpose of like basically having people think get him off the crime. Yeah, like, yeah. because she wanted him to. She wanted to collect. Uh, death by accident insurance, you know, double indemnity mm-hmm. on his life. And um, she had to make it look like an accident. So the cyanide, you know, if, oh, if there was a scandalous poisoning. So that was Excedrin and that was, that's Seattle. That's why I was thinking Seattle. But yeah, anyways, terrible, just terrible. It's crazy. People are nuts. Yeah. Anyway, so anything else for the 29th? Nope. All I had, all the only thing I had was um, 1967, September 29th, 1967. The first version of the song, Heard It Through the Grapevine, and it's by Gladys Knight and the Pips. I don't think a lot of people realize that. That's the first released version. Uh, Marvin Gaye releases his famous recording in 1968. And Credence releases their cover in 1970. And this is like one of those few songs that's it's covered heavily. And I happen to really love all the covers. There's not one stinker. Yeah, this one. These are, And they're all pretty different, I think. But anyway, they're great. It's a great song. Um, the, Cre- the Credence one is like 11 minutes long. Have you ever really? heard the whole thing? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> That's September 29th? Yeah. So September 30th, I didn't have much for that. September 30th, 1955, James Dean was killed in a car wreck at the age of 24. Sad. That's so sad. You know, uh, the only thing I have interesting about his death was... That he got a ticket earlier for, to Did slow he? down. Yes. Oh, and then, no. Yeah, and they were like, drag racing, right? Out in the yeah. country or whatever? Yeah, he got, a, he got a new Porsche. And he oh, was no. riding it, driving it to... I think he was driving it to LA or to Salinas Well, or he had he had gassed up. At the right near my dad's house, at the bottom of the the hill, essentially, you know, I don't know if you ever hear that term, but that's what people are talking about. They're talking about when you go from West LA or East LA and you go over the hill into the valley, and he got gas at 
the gas station that was right there on the corner. Beverly Glen hits Ventura Boulevard. It's gone, but it's in, and you know, LA is very, there's not a lot of nostalgia here for old buildings. So it's barely recognizable, but you can kind of see. And actually that used to be my car wash where I used to get my car wash. My mom got her car wash and everything. It was called, had a funny name. It was called Handy J. (laughs) (laughs) Handy J car wash. But they had, um, they had, when you were waiting for your car to be, as it was like getting dried off or whatever, they had uh, there was an, a place that was converted from a from an old gas station into a flower shop, and I think that's the gas station. Like you could see where you wow. pull under the thing to to gas up, but that's gone because they've it's been developed into some. Oh, it's a Whole Foods. It's a Whole Foods now. Everything's a Whole Foods. I now. know. Yeah, he had gotten a ticket earlier, like the same drive. Wow, I didn't know that about the ticket. And then he. God damn, that guy could have saved his life. That cop. Then he crashed into Mr. Turnipseed. What's your favorite? There weren't many, but what's your favorite James Dean movie? East of Eden. I knew you were going to say that. Did you read the book? I love that book. Yeah, it's a good book. And it's got everything. It's got like sex scandals and it's crazy. Yeah, I love that book. And I love that movie. And I didn't, I don't love Rebel Without a Cause. I don't love that movie. Uh, Yeah, that one's just okay. I actually, I think my favorite is Giant. Giant's good. I just, I don't know. I just thought it's a cool like epic saga. I love like multi-generational epic sagas are fun. East of Eden, I think I may have, may have watched that movie too close to when I finished the book, which is like, you should oh, not do that. Yeah, you should not do that. So um, I should rewatch it, but. And then you had 1984 was uh, Murder, She Wrote. And on the 30th? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I did have that? Why did I not no. see that? No, I'm oh. saying I said I saw Oh, you that. have I thought you would have had that. No, I didn't. I love that. I love that show. You know, Maren, um, Maren and Jake now watch it in the morning. That is so funny. I can't believe she tolerates it. Like. I mean, it's slow for adults, I feel like. She is like a 70-year-old woman. (laughs) My kind of kid. Mm -hmm. I remember I was in the closet for so many years about my love for Murder, She Wrote. And I told you, and I was like, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. And I told you, and you were like, what the fuck is wrong? (laughs) (laughs) And then I I had... um, Something happened like, I, oh, I had to have one of my dermatological surgeries on my face. It, it was, I had to have something removed on my face and I had stitches on my cheek, like on the side of my face, on my cheek. And it was like, it was December 30th that I had the procedure. And it was um, to, after I moved back here, like 09, maybe and back to LA, I was out running an errand and the person in the store asked what my plans were. He was like a chatty guy and he asked me what my plans were for uh, <laughs> for New Year's Eve. And I was like, oh, I just had this surgery, so I'm using that as an excuse to stay in and watch the Twilight Zone marathon. And he was like, well, me and my friends are all getting together and we're making our own Murder, She Wrote marathon. And I was like, you love... I was like, I can't believe... I and didn't then know you popped, people, a, I didn't sti- know you popped <laughs> a stitch. My stitches burst right off my face. <laughs> <laughs> and I, but I, that's when I realized I was like, okay, I'm not a complete and total weirdo. There is like, there is a population in this country that loves murder. She wrote. So I've accepted it. You're not, a, you're not alone. Yeah. It is a great show. So October 1st, I had like two little, little things. That's all I had was two little things. I um, had a little woman. Oh. In 1868, little woman was published in America. Oh, that's my sister's favorite book. My older sister's favorite book. So that's an example. We were just talking about a song, Heard It Through the Grapevine, that has like multiple covers and I, I like all the covers. I actually like all the versions of Little Women. Little Women. And I was a little worried when the newer one came out. I was like, is this well dry yet? I mean, are we just going to keep ma- remaking this movie? But I actually liked it. I didn't like the timeline jumping with that. 
Oh yeah, I, I'm actually never usually a fan of timeline jumping. I get I'm not that smart. I get confused and like what's happening. I liked all the actresses that were in that, and I yes. liked their portrayals of all the characters. But I did not like the way the movie was pieced together. It, I was like, just go from the beginning and and just go straight through. Yeah, I can't with the back and forth. I like that they fleshed out like the feminist message. I thought it was cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought that was part was cool. Great no. acting, obviously. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know. I can't stand the the chick who plays. What's her name? June something who plays Joe in the one with Elizabeth Taylor. I knew you were going to say that. But I that's love actually that. my favorite one. I but love she that is one, so but fucking annoying. So annoying. That's June Allison. Question about <sighs> Columbus. Yeah, oh she's no. <laughs> she, she's a voice. she's just kind of like a she, she plays Joe as a dork. So over the top. Yeah, and she was so annoying, and she. But I so love old. that one. I love that yeah. one too. I love the way it looks. I love. I love all the other characters in it. I like the Winona Ryder one. Yeah, that one was good. And then there's the one with Catherine Hepburn, too, Yeah, right? she's there... Joe in that one. I don't think I've seen that one, at least not all the way through. I think I've only seen that one once. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, it's a great book. And I actually read, when I was a kid, my mom read Joe's Boys to me, which is one of the sequels about when Joe opens up that I think school. I tried to read that. Did they make that into a movie, too? I think so, an old movie, you know, old one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, great book. Golden Little Golden Books begins publishing in 1942, I was surprised by this. The Pokey Little Puppy is the all-time top-selling children's book. I, I mean, it makes sense. It's incredibly popular. I just didn't, I would have, I think wow. I would have guessed Beatrix Potter. I love Little Golden Books. Didn't you text me last year with like a picture of the Christmas, Night Before Christmas yeah, Little Golden I had, Book? Yeah, I found it in a in a Marshalls and I blew my fucking mind when I saw it because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And I bought two of them, I, three of them. I bought one for my brother, my sister, and me. I yeah, actually love that one. It's I love the pictures in it. I love and it's up in Eileen's room. Yeah, the pictures of that in that one are great. And like we have one that my mom grew up with that's incredibly old and like very fragile. Because of that, like I wasn't allowed to hold it and like, you know, someone had to like read it to us and show us the pictures. But the the little the little golden book one, the uh, night before Christmas, I Loved it. I lo- I could take a beating. It was like cardboard yeah, cover. Yeah, that's and, you how know, this was- one is too. Like they were the thick, the thick cardboard pages. It wasn't. Yes. It it was just. I love it. And so yeah, as soon as I saw it, I sent the picture. I sent it to you, and I sent it to my brother and sister. My brother's like, that's triggering me. Oh. <laughs> I was like, this is great. I had to get it. And that that's actually a genius, like branding on their part, because they really didn't change anything. Like I was reading, and they were they're were basically saying that nothing has really changed about the cover and like the the fonts that they use for each story mm-hmm. and the little gold binding is the same. So because of that, they get like heavy duty nostalgia factor. Like people are having kids and buying it for their kids. Yeah. They had it when they were kids, you know, it's great. Yeah. October 2nd. Oh, speaking of Beatrix Potter, a tale of Peter rabbit is published. Oh yeah. I That's what that. I would have guessed. If someone was like, and if we were in like a trivia quiz in a pub, I would have guessed tale of Peter rabbit. Hmm, I wouldn't have really. It was, it's everywhere. Even friggin' um, pottery barn sells Peter rabbit crap. I guess it doesn't remind me of my childhood or something that I had. Oh, really? Do you didn't read Beatrix Potter? Oh, I mm-hmm. loved it. My favorite is um, the tale of Jeremy Fisher. He's the frog. He wears a velvet coat. He's adorable. I love him so much. I guess <laughs> no, I just love animals. So I just loved all the. They were all stories of animals. The Peter Rabbit one I remember is was kind of horrifying to me because it was like you know the warning in it from Peter's mom is you're going to go out to play. Do not go into Mr. McGregor's, McGregor's. garden mm-hmm. because. He fucking ate your dad. I was like, what? <laughs> like, who? Yeah. First of all, who eats bunnies? Like, that's Mr. insane. McGregor. Like, to me, that was depressing. I remember thinking that was horrifying, but I just loved all the pictures and the animals. 
October 2nd, I have something. Oh, I have another, like, semi-deep dive. Do you have anything else? Was that, is that the Twilight Zone? Yes. I actually started reading about Rod Serling because, you know, I only know him from that. But then I didn't realize he was such a big writer, you know, before all that. So I did read a little bit about him, but you do you. I know that you're the Twilight. I am a Twilight Zone dork big time. Like Daniel and I watch the Twilight Zone marathon every New Year's. First, I'll open with a correction though. Uh, Last week, I said that Roald Dahl's sci-fi horror anthology TV series called Way Out preceded the Twilight Zone, but I'm an idiot because it didn't, it preceded it in time slot, not in existence. It was uh, like what was on before the Twilight Zone came on. Um, the, so Way Out started in 61. That was Roald Dahl's sci-fi anthology. And then Twilight Zone started in 59. So it does, it is older. It was created by Rod Serling, ran for five seasons on CBS and won two Emmys, which seems low for me because I think that show's amazing. But, but the concept uh, was not, is not original. There were so, several similar uh, old-time radio shows. You know I'm a dork for old-time radio. It's amazing. Uh, old-time radio shows like X-1, Dimension X, Lights Out, The Weird Circle. These were all similarly themed shows, sci-fi, spooky, things like that. And there were also other TV anthology shows like Tales of Tomorrow and Science Fiction Theater. But Twilight Zone is definitely obvious, has the most enduring legacy. And I think that's because they tackled really cool issues like racism and war and things like that. Rod Serling was always, a, he was a TV writer and he was always a fan of sci-fi. And he decided that a sci-fi setting would allow him to express controversial ideas without triggering sponsors and censors, which had been a, a problem throughout his TV career. And they give this bizarre example. Uh, is this about that, the 14 the year old kid that was killed in Mississippi where he wrote like a- Oh no, that sounds amazing. I don't yeah, understand that. He wrote some, I guess it was a, I think it was a TV show, but he was basing it on this lynching of this kid in Mississippi. Oh my because God. Because the kid like whistled. It was an African American. Was it Emmett boy. Till? Was it Emmett yeah. Till? Yes. Yeah, very famous. Very Yeah, sad. And he like whistled or flirted or did, I don't know what they said he did. Well, the lady lied too. She had she admitted she admitted that she lied. Yeah. And then yeah, so he's horribly mutilated and murdered. Terrible. But so then I read that Rod Sterling did some kind of like parallel story that ended up getting watered down oh. to like, it ended up being like pretty matching that story specifically and then getting watered down to like it being not in the South and it being a Jewish person and then it getting watered down to like just being some out of towner. Just, <laughs> like oh no, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, just kept going. Like, But yeah. that was like one of the things that kind of like steered him into sci-fi too. Yeah, they were like, like, oh, we don't want to upset anyone. We right. don't want to get anyone thinking beyond, you know, their bubbles. Crazy. And he they used this weird example, like the, the power that sponsors wielded is really strange. Like they were saying that Sterling had a quote in one of his teleplays that was like, someone's taking out, takes out a cigarette and goes, uh, got a match. The fucking sponsor was a lighter company. And they were like, you can't say that. Like, are you oh, serious? God. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bizarre. Twilight Zone made it possible to challenge all these like censors and sponsors and stuff because they weren't really threatened by these, these scenarios. And I, I actually think that these progressive, forward-thinking ideas about challenging racism and being anti-war, I mean, a lot of his messaging is anti-war. He has, you know, multiple things that discuss bigotry 
anti-Semitism. There's a Holocaust-themed one. In my opinion, that's why it's still so beloved today, and no one knows the other ones, the other anthology series, sci-fi anthology series. Are you a fan of The Twilight Zone? Do you have a favorite episode? Yeah, I mean, Jake watches it whenever the marathon's on. What would be my favorite episode? I don't know the titles of them. I might be able to guess because I'm a weirdo. You know, I always love the one with the guy with the books, and then, you know, he's- Oh, Time Enough at Last, I think it's called. Yeah, where his glasses break. Uh, Fucked up. I always like the one with the little boy, Anthony, because they put that one in the 80s movie, too. Yeah, Billy Moomy. Yeah. The, and he's uh, like controlling the whole town and everyone's afraid of him and he can. Oh, he's know. diabolical. And then, you yeah. know, I lo- actually love that version of that in the 80s one because it yeah, has yeah, a happier ending. How, well, oh, yeah, because he ends up leaving with the woman. Remember the scene with his sister without the mouth? Oh, that was horrifying. That movie actually was pretty, had some scary that stuff. freaked me out. You want to see something really scary? Oh, yeah. Remember, oh speaking of. <laughs> Speaking of Credence Clearwater Revival, that's Midnight Special Plays, and then he turns and like shows his. <laughs> Oof, that's um so, Dan Aykroyd. Is that Dan Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd for Dan like Ar- that yeah. was Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, so uh, I like that one because that little boy is just so twisted and how they're all like kissing his ass and stuff. Uh, my favorites are kind of sappy, actually. I my favorite is a is the Christmas one. It's called Night of the Meek, and it's. It's sappy, but I love it. It's about a guy who turns into Santa Claus. I mean, I think it's adorable. It's it's a, it's one of the ones that's on videotape, so it kind of looks weird. Have you ever seen those? Some of them look kind of funny. That sounds familiar to me. I bet you I've seen it. It was it's good. It's a famous one, and it's it's good. The other one I really love. Often you don't get to see because it's one of the in season four of Twilight Zone is they decided to make them one hour long. So it's Netflix, you can watch Twilight Zone except for the fourth season. I don't know why it doesn't work, I guess, with the, whatever their system is, or I have no idea. But the one I love is called Passage on the Lady Anne. And it's about this young couple who's not getting along. They're a married couple and they're not getting along. They're arguing a lot. And they buy tickets to on a cruise ship, like an old cruise liner. Something's not right from the get-go, right? It's like, first of all, it's super foggy and dreary. And they get on this boat and everyone on the boat is old. Very weird. Regardless of that, something happens. They fall back in love and they meet these wonderful people and they it's like this lovely, kind of like very sweet. Uh, I won't give away what happens, but it's sad, but it's bittersweet at the end. But it's just, a, it's like really good. I mean, someone could flesh it out and turn it into a movie. The guy who wrote Passage on the Lady Anne is Charles Beaumont, by the way, and he wrote another fan favorite, The Howling Man. Do you remember that one? The guy that's like, turns out to be the devil. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, he's locked away by these monks and he's howling, howls at the moon. I don't know that one. Yeah, that's a good one. It's really good. It's like about like the devil roaming the earth and stuff. Yeah, that's why this one's great. You don't I mean, like, you so don't like the one with slot machine that's chasing the person? Oh, I love that one. Uh, what's the, what was his name? Franklin. 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 Is his name Franklin? I can't remember. I just, but what is it? What is it? What was the episode called like the fever or something? Right? Yeah, yeah, like, that's right. And it chases after him and he like, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's like, I guess he's like addicted or whatever. Wait, there was another episode that I was going to make reference to. Oh, you know that Daniel and I went for Halloween we don't really go out for Halloween now. Yeah, you know your, co- your amazing costumes. Yeah, that, that those yeah. were tw- those are from the everyone loves that one. That's Eye of the Beholder, where they yeah, they're those like everyone's ugly. Are amazing. It's just a fucking mask, and then I bought like an old timey nursing Whatever. outfit. It was great. <laughs> Thank you. So um, that is the only time we went to like this old timey like supper club for that. It was like an event. You got dinner and like it was like really fun. That was when I is this what it's like to be a celebrity? Like people were staring at us, coming up and taking their asking to take their picture with us, or just it's taking a- their picture of us like without asking, like just to walk in. You guys looked picture. amazing. It was, <laughs> it was it was like the easiest costume I've ever made too. But yeah, no, that was a fun costume. 
It's almost as good as your uh, Rockford peach. Oh, I love that one. That's a good one. So you didn't like my, when I was a uh, baseball fury. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, wait, the warriors. Yeah. Did you ever see that? No, I think I saw it because of you. Cause I, you, ref- you referenced it and I never knew what it was. I, I would have thought you guys, all the Byersmiths what would watch that. Mm-mm. I ended up, I think I ended up renting it because of you. Cause Jake had seen it. The baseball furies are definitely the coolest. Although the Lizzie's are pretty cool. The girls. Yeah, no, that's definitely a movie that you brought up to me that I saw. That's a great movie. I only had one other thing. Do you have anything for October 2nd? I had the Beltway Snipers. Oh, shit. In 2002, October 2nd. Well, that was terrifying. Yeah. Crazy. So. And that was just like a year after September 11th. I forgot that. Yeah. People were already kind of. Traumatized. So it was the the Beltway Sniper attacks uh, around D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Extended over three weeks. They caught them on October 24th. They killed 10 and then critically injured three. Who did they target? I forget. Who did they like target? Like anyone? People freaking getting gas or mowing their lawn. Like it was someone walking out of a store. They were just randomly mowing down people. And how did they position themselves to be hit? That's what's weird. This is the crazy thing. So... I did see that about the car. So when they finally caught them and then, so they were doing all this in a Chevy Caprice. So okay. they rigged the back seat so that they could lay in the back seat into the trunk and shoot through a hole by the license plate. Oh my God, I had no idea. That's crazy. Isn't that disturbing? That's that's a Walter White shit. That's crazy. So, and it's a seven, it was a 17 year old Lee Boyd Malvo. He was 17. And then it was this 41 year old John Allen Muhammad. And they were- Were they related? No, but they knew each other through the 17-year-old's mom somewhere, lived somewhere else, and that's how they got connected. And they're obviously, you know, psychopaths. Yeah, was this like for funsies? I forget. Was there a motive? So it started, they had like this possible motive that they didn't really bring up in the trial because it kind of got debunked, I guess. But they thought the ultimate plan was for the the Muhammad guy to kill his ex-wife. And then he was going to shoot all these other people to kind of throw it off of him. Oh, so so he wouldn't be a suspect. Yeah. So they did. I think the first person they killed was this Kenya Nicole Cook. She was shot and killed by Malvo, the 17-year-old, which is crazy. Like this kid going around shooting all these people. It's so weird. Outside of her her aunt's home and her aunt had been friends with Muhammad's ex-wife that aunt had convinced the ex-wife to leave him. Oh, so they did target someone then initially. They did end up by like some kind of connection. So that was the first person they killed. And then then they moved on to all these other just random people, random people going about their like I had a friend who lived in Bethesda, Maryland, like when this was happening and it was freak it, it, I, she was terrified. Yeah. I mean, also it's kind of like it almost sounds like they did it once targeting someone and then from that point on they were like having fun or something. You know what I mean? Like why keep going? It's just bizarre. They ended up getting a lead on them because a magazine that was dropped at a crime scene had Malvo's fingerprints on it. And the fingerprints appeared in a database from some other crime where mm. when he was arrested in like Washington state. And then I think in that arrest, the other guy was mentioned as well. So they had, was their lead. Oh, okay. Muhammad was put to death in 2009. Malvo oh, is sentenced to like, he was originally sentenced to like six consecutive life sentences. And then it was three of those were vacated because it was violating the mandatory life sentences for juvenile. Oh, right. Cause he was 17. Yeah. Terrifying. They also said that while in prison, Malvo was writing a lot about Jihad and Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. And then like characters from the matrix, like he was all over the place. Oh, so it, I mean, maybe it could have been a terrorist thing, but they, so they were saying that it was the heat. And then he testified that the aim of the killing spree was to kidnap children for the purpose of extorting money from the government and to set up a camp to train children 
on how to be terrorists. He's just talking out of his ass because he yeah, didn't actually kidnap thing. anyone. And then, yeah, and it was almost like uh, you're just making up stuff now. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's what it sounds like. You, know, you just were having a free for all and, and loving it. And yeah, just, you thought know. it was exhilarating and probably felt made them feel powerful and yeah. it's gross. So that was, but the whole thing about the car freaked me out. What's the, what was the, how long, how many days did it last? I forget. Like three how, weeks. Oh, so wow. They, it started October 2nd and they called him on the 24th. Is that what I said? Wow. Yeah. It's really, ugh. I just had the last thing I had for 19, October 2nd, 1967 was Thurgood Marshall becomes the first African-American Supreme Court justice. He was appointed by Johnson. He was born in Baltimore in 1908. His father was a real reporter and his mother was a teacher. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. His dad used to take him and his siblings down to the courthouse to watch trials. And they used to kind of like at the dinner table, like would debate issues. And um, that that piqued his interest. He went, he wanted to go to law school, went to Lincoln University, graduated in 1930, and then Howard University Law School in 1933. And then he started his private practice in Baltimore and regularly representing the NAACP. And in 1945, 1940, he founded the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Educational Fund. The most famous case he argued was for Brown in Brown versus the Board of Education. So before he was appointed Supreme Court Justice, he had argued, he had been a lawyer who had argued cases in front of the Supreme Court. I don't know how common that is, but I thought it was interesting. Uh-huh. He won 29 of his 32 cases that he argued in front of the Supreme Court. Supre- served on the Supreme Court for 24 years with a record that favored civil rights and constitutional protection of individual rights, particularly of criminal suspects. My mom actually got to meet him at, she worked at the World Bank. I don't know if it was a World Bank-related thing, but she worked at the World Bank in Washington while my dad was going to grad school. They both went to Georgetown. They met at Georgetown. And she was invited to some luncheon, and he was there, and he spoke, and she got to, there was like a lot, you know, a receiving line. She got to shake his hand. She bragged about that shit her entire <laughs> life. <laughs> I would too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's all I have. That's it. That was um, a lot. I think that we did. We yeah. Had this, we had more this week than last week, I think. Oh, I finally started a book. Have you read anything by Rona Jaffe? Yeah, so she wrote her, I think her most popular is The Best of Everything. She writes, they take most of like her most popular books take place in the 1950s. They're like 1950s college girls or, or working girls. Like they're young, like mm-hmm. working girls. And they're kind of like beach reads. I don't know if I would call them trashy, but they're not highbrow. They're like fun, you know? Um, and th- and they're, for me now, like I read them because I think they're like a really fun window into the 1950s. And this, the one I'm reading is called Class Reunion. I think it was made into a movie. And I know Best of Everything was made into a movie uh, with your favorite Joan, uh, Joan Crawford as the, the, the like boss of the girls. And she looks crazy with her freaking eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, so anyway, so it's it's really, I actually love it already. I'm like a ch- two chapters in and I love it. It's just, it follows like five young women as they start Radcliffe in 1957. It's just like, fun. one of them's Jewish, so she's talking about like an- the anti-Semitism she's experiencing because of Radcliffe, all the Ivies were, and all the sister schools, which is like the girl schools at the time, were very waspy, uh, wealthy waspy. So it's just kind of like fascinating hearing her talk about how how she's treated and stuff. It's just, it's a great, it's cool. It's not highbrow, not intellectual, but I, good stuff. I have a book that I bought, but I have to start it. American Dirt by Janine Cummins. That sounds that? familiar. I think I've, I've seen that cover. Yeah. Yeah. Starts out with like a horrible murder, but oh. um, 
So I'm trying. I'm trying, Emily. I'm trying. Okay. Trying. I mean, even if you do like a page a night, right? <sighs> yes. Yeah. So I got that at least. Um, haven't watched any. You're, did you finish? Um, is uh, Ted Lasso done? No, it's not done yet. But the, this this most recent episode was so good. Oh, one, I can't wait to watch it. I love. I love him. So two episodes ago, even when I when I heard what the premise was, I was like, I don't want to see that. And it was a they could just remove that episode from the season. But I thought the last week's was really really good. Okay, we finished. By the way, we finished Breaking Bad and we watched the movie. Oh, I didn't see the movie. Was it good? Yeah, it's basically just like an epilogue. That's the best way mm-hmm. to describe it. It like wraps up what happens to Jesse. Jesse after like literally it, right after. Wasn't that a great show? It was great. Um. I was starting to get like kind of because I had been rooting for Jesse for most of the I know he's not like perfect and he made mistakes. I think he was like a, a generally yeah. speaking a good person mm-hmm. who just did some stupid things. But I just he is he was so beaten up and kidnapped and tortured throughout the entire series. It was just like so it was getting so depressing and like frustrating for me. So I'm glad to end it when it did, because I don't think I could take any more of seeing poor Jesse like, know, in a bloody it. pulp on the floor or whatever. It's depressing. No, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the show is pretty fascinating, actually. I mean, I've don't, never seen anything like it. Oh, no. no Definitely not amazing. on network, for starters. Yeah. We started, did we talk about this last week? Only murders in the building? Oh, my God. <laughs> don't spoil it. So, you know, Daniel and I won't, we have to binge. So we are saving I that. I know. So okay. Jake and I are watching it. Do it's, you love it? Everyone loves it. It's so great. I yeah. So I saw that. You know how like Instagram is like creepily good at like targeting your like with ads. Mm-hmm. So that that one came up, and I was like, "Oh, Steve Martin and Martin Short. Like I love them." And I played the trailer, and I thought it looked great. And I was like, "I have to show this to Daniel." Daniel was like, "Eh." I was like, "Oh, what?" Like no, I was good. so. He's like, "I'll watch it with you," but I he's. Like he's like not, he's dubious about like whether it was gonna be good, and then all the reviews started coming out, and they've been they've been really positive. So now we're excited about it. No, we like it. And the episode, the most recent one we just watched, this doesn't give anything away. The whole episode, there's only one line of dialogue. What? That's so cool. I love and stuff to- like that. It totally works. And I don't know. I could watch those two guys do anything. I know they're hilarious. Martin Sh- Martin Short is so I love him. He's so funny because he's playing such a flamboyant character, like this weird, <laughs> like eccentric kind of like theater guy, and yeah. he's so he's so funny. I yeah, love him. It's great. You'll love it. It's good. You'll like it. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I don't think I have anything else new except for that. Yeah, that's, my, that's like my max. We started shows. the Nexium cult, the oh. one called Seduction. Holy know. shit. Yeah, that whole thing is just so twisted. Cults fascinate me. I don't identify at all with the kind of person that wants to Would be part of this. I, I don't get it. I mean, these motherfuckers sounded bananas from like, you know, maybe not right from the get-go, but pretty soon. And yeah. this wasn't, this is not a religious cult. It's like a, you know, it's a dumb, it sounds like a, almost like a business pyramid scheme. Douchey, like the guy is a total douchebag, the lead guy, like the head guy. And it just... I mean, I don't know what it's. Yeah, what is missing in your life that you get sucked into that? That's the exact question I always wonder. I'm like, what are they looking for? And it's so funny because Daniel and I are such like homebodies, and like they showed the scene that was like the the promo for some stupid camp they have every year. 
that's like a week long and it has like showing people doing all these like activities like nice. acting and dancing my worst and, nightmare and the the overlay the girl who's like a, a survivor is like uh you just everyone wanted to go to this camp and daniel and I are like fucking why <laughs> like it's, it looks like my idea of hell like no, no way would i be like on that stage Ugh, cringe Ugh, it's awful Ugh. it's awful anyway so that we we're just we just started that but yeah anyway but yeah well, so yeah, i finally started is. a book but yeah <laughs> Well, I'll try to read at least 20 pages of the book on this next podcast. All right. Until next time. Okay.